Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. Well, good morning. Hey, if you're, uh, whether you're joining us online or right here on campus, I, was, I just want to say welcome to Sunridge. If you're a guest here today, you don't know me, my name is Britt. I serve here as the lead pastor, and I want to let you know that every first Sunday, we have a welcome to Sunridge brief meeting uh, out in the main hallway. You'll hear more about that, but just kind of put that in the back of your head. If you're new or newer to Sunridge and you haven't gotten a chance to connect with me or our staff, we'd love to have you. So uh, take a seat, everybody. Let's get started. You know, uh, some of the best and most dramatic movies always have a courtroom scene in them where the truth finally comes out. So whose skin doesn't crawl in that courtroom scene when in kill, to, to Kill a Mockingbird, Atticus Finch uh, uncovers the fraud of Mayella Yule's claim of rape by an innocent black man whose only crime was to do a favor for her? Or how about that unforgettable scene in A Few Good Men? When Lieutenant Caffey gets Colonel Jessup to admit under oath that he did order the code red. Did you order the code red? And, of course, you know how he answered it, so we don't need to talk about that in church. But probably at the top of everybody's list here as the most dramatic courtroom scene of all time is a scene in a movie where a young man and his friend are accused of murder, a murder that they didn't commit in Alabama, and his older cousin, Vinny, comes to defend him. <laughs> no? Yes. It's not going to show? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you remember the scene where the guy that claimed to be a witness of the murder realized that he couldn't cook real grits in five minutes. It actually takes 20, and so it could not have happened. You have to be a fan of my cousin Finney to get it. But anyway, um, so if you're just joining us, we're in a series uh, on the life of Moses, and most of you have heard of him. God gave him the Ten Commandments, and they are not just rules, as we've seen. They are a covenant between God and his people who are known at this time as God's children. And so the Ten Commandments are God laying down a way of life for them, a way of living that reflects the God of creation who rescued them. These, the Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. They're humbling, as we've seen, and there's a lot more to them than meets the eye. And that is certainly true of commandment nine. And that's where we are. We've been taking one a week. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what commandment nine means, how it's perceived and applied in the Old Testament and New Testament. We're going to talk about the various ways that we break it. 
And we're going to talk about why it's so important. And then last, we're going to talk about how we can live it out. So does that sound like a plan? Yep. Okay, so let's read it. Exodus 20, verse 16 in the NIV, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Then in the English Standard Version and New American Standard, it reads this way, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then if you go to the good old King James Bible with all its these and thous and even spelling neighbor differently, it says, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. So they all use similar language, right? It's, um, you shouldn't bear false witness or give false testimony. And it kind of sounds like the courtroom scenes that I mentioned earlier. But what does it mean? What does this commandment mean? So first of all, at face value, commandment nine seems to say, don't commit perjury, right? Don't commit perjury. Don't lie in court. Don't accuse someone falsely. Don't don't come to court and bear false witness. If you're asked in court what you saw, then tell the truth. Don't give false testimony against your neighbor, even if it's thy neighbor. And if someone points out that there's no way that you could cook legitimate grits in five minutes, then admit it. You know what? It is saying that. It's exactly what it's saying. Can you imagine how important this commandment would be for the social stability in the Bronze Age, which is when this is happening. Just, in a, just imagine how important a witness is in a court of law during this time. Today we have so many other uh, sources for evidence. We have video and fingerprints and DNA and cell phone records. And they had none of that at this time. And they relied almost entirely on eyewitness accounts. So if someone said something that, hap that had happened or uh, they made an accusation, then they were supposed to be able to reliably say, then it must have happened. And if two people said that it happened, then it was an ironclad thing. Now imagine how this reliance on eyewitness accounts could have been abused at this time. Knowing human beings as we do and what power can do to us do you think that it was likely that people would form alliances in order to make a profit or to avoid consequences? Or do you think that it would have been pretty tempting for the powerful or influential to abuse their power in court? It was. And that's why we see this commandment nine mentioned over and over and over again particularly in your Old Testament, even from the prophets. The prophets are, you know, speaking into the social culture. In Zechariah 8, 16, he says, These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. It would be especially important to give true testimony if the stakes were really high. Deuteronomy 17.6 says, On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. But no one is to be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. In other words, as a protection for the most severe consequences that someone might face, we're going to need more than one person's word on this. Or consider even in the New Testament, if an accusation is made against a leader, 1 Timothy 5.19, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or more witnesses. So we can see 
that very soon we can see that commandment nine is also interpreted, don't lie. It becomes general. We can see that commandment nine is, it starts to be applied to every human interaction, not just in the courtroom. Tell the truth, period, everywhere. You know, we have been talking, throughout this series, we've been talking about how the Ten Commandments formed a foundation for human behavior among God's people. And of course, you can see how in order for society to work, for human beings to be able to flourish, um, people have to be truthful. And here's Commandment 9 expounded and connected to stealing. Commandment 8 in Leviticus 19.11. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. So you can see that how stealing and lying would be companions, right? Then in the New Testament, Paul said in Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You know, there was a period in, in uh, the nation of Israel's history where uh, they had so abandoned God that God brought judgment upon them. They were a nation uh, that constantly was eroding morally and in every way. And God allowed the Babylonian Empire from the east to, to take them over. And uh, so they were going to face consequences for the way they had abandoned the ways of God. And the prophet Jeremiah is speaking into this, and he's lamenting about what had happened to the nation. What had happened? Why? In Jeremiah 9.5, he says, Friend deceives friend, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues the lie. They weary themselves with sinning. You live in the midst of deception, and in their deceit they refuse to acknowledge me, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is lamenting. And acknowledging God is bringing his judgment upon his people because lying had become the norm for God's people. And that was a direct affront to God. God says, you're not just lying and hurting each other. You, you are failing to acknowledge me. And you say, that, that must have been a horrible time to live. I mean, I can't imagine living in a day when people would lie like that. It's so Bronze Age. And no wonder God had the Babylonians take the Israelites into captivity. So how do you think we're doing on telling the truth today? I'm glad you asked. Here's what the data shows. And put this up on the screen. We begin lying by the age of two. In fact, our ability to lie is a developmental marker. It's like a milestone, like crawling or walking. You're progressing if you're learning to lie as a child. The average adult lies about four times a day, which means that we tell almost 1,500 lies a year. Men lie twice as much as women, which is funny when you think about the fact that men talk so much less than women. The data shows that about 50% of the lies told come from 5% of the people. You know who you are? You're really pushing the average up in the wrong direction. You know, research shows that the more you lie, the easier it gets, and the more likely you are to do it again. 
And in 2016, Duke University showed, a study there showed that dishonesty actually alters the human brain, making it easier to lie in the future. You know, just think about our world today and all the public figures who have been caught lying. Why? Because it works. It's also true that we're less likely to lie when we have moral reminders or we think that others are watching. So let's think about this. In our, in our society today, think, of how, think how much money, energy, resources, public investment, legislation, social structure, and actually a whole industry of jobs that have all been created to prevent the societal decomposition that happens because of lying. Can you see the brilliance of the Ten Commandments now? And I know that some of you are sitting here right now and you're saying, well, you know, you can preach as hard as you want on this one, Britt, because I got this one down. You know, I'm good. So let's talk about how do we break Commandment 9. Studies have shown that uh, not only do we lie, but it, t it tells us why we lie. We, avoid, we lie to avoid hurting people's feelings. Uh, we lie to protect someone. We lie to avoid consequences. We lie to pump ourselves up. We lie for monetary gain. We're more likely to lie when we're stressed or tired. And, more, and we're more likely to lie when we see others lying and benefiting from having done so. Now, most of us, I realize, are not going to perjure ourselves this week, right? But you can see that it's very human to lie. But how do we do it? So uh, I think I've mentioned the Heidelberg Catechism here already in this series, but we're, we're going we're gonna to look at that. And if you're not familiar with that, in 1563, Reformed theologians got together and they wrote out kind of like these systematic statements of faith and like what they believed. They tried to categorize our faith and, uh, to, and to kind of like put down in a document for people to know how faith affects their life. It's like they were saying, this is what we believe. And so you might be saying, oh, Brett, you know, how out of touch is this going to be? This is 500 years old. You know, things are so much different today. Well, let's look at what the Heidelberg Catechism says about Commandment 9. And this is in your notes, there's some fill in the blank in the first part, but at question 112, the question is this, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment, which is what we're talking about? And here's what the Heidelberg Catechism says, that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly without a hearing. Pretty much nailed it, don't you think? It goes on. Rather, I should avoid under penalty of God's wrath every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. Isn't that awesome? 500 years ago almost, that was written. So let's break down question 112 and let's talk about some of the ways that we can lie because it, it delineates those. We break commandment 9, first of all, when we give false testimony. 
which is another way of saying lie. You know, we think, well, I only lie when I need to. Or, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a little white lie. But Proverbs 12.22 says, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So, any lie is reprehensible to God. And when we, when we lie, we're doing something that God detests. In the New Testament, Paul wrote this in Colossians 3.9. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. It's, it's part of our old life to lie. In other words, lying is completely inconsistent with being a Christian. It's part of our old life. We're being renewed into God's image. And you know the way that Paul says it here, it's interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, just don't be a liar. He's saying, don't lie to one another. So he's kind of going beyond. He's saying, don't lie to each other, which also means don't be guilty of spreading a lie. That would be lying to someone else. In other words, it may not even be your lie. It could be someone else's lie that you're passing on. And to do so is inconsistent with the identity of someone who is being renewed in the image of God. So a Christian should want the truth to prevail more than any other person. But sadly, these days, I'm going to be your pastor for just a couple seconds here, okay? You guys all right? Professing Christians are some of the worst offenders in the public arena today. For one, did you know that evangelicals make up the largest following of Alex Jones, who said the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting was a hoax? Evangelicals make up the largest group of followers who spread QAnon theories. No Christian should believe, support, or further something that is not true. We can't believe something just because we want it to be true, whether it's about someone else or ourselves. We can't reject something as untrue or not believe something because we prefer that it be true. And we can't be complicit in perpetuating something for which there is no factual evidence. And you know, we can't tell ourselves lies about ourselves either. Well, you know, they let me go for no reason at all. We have to be the most disciplined people in the world about the truth. When we're giving, another way that we give false testimony is when we break our word. Jesus was in full support of commandment mind. We've talked about how Jesus references the commandments multiple times. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. In Matthew 5.37, Jesus said our yes should mean yes and our no should mean no. In other words, if we're going to, if we're going to show, if we say we're going to show up or do something, or we make a vow in our marriage, or we sign a contract, or we agree to a policy at a certain place of employment. We can't later decide, well, that's inconvenient for me now because something else came along that I feel would be better for me in this moment. 
And I can't say, well, I can't keep my word on that one anymore because it's going to cost me. We're supposed to mean what we say and say what we mean. You guys okay? Okay, so number two, we break commandment nine. The Heidelberg Catechism says when we twist words, when we twist words, how old are we before we learn to retell our stories to our own benefit? You know what I'm talking about? How old, are, how old are we before we learn to repeat an event with kind of a slant to make the other look bad and to make ourselves look good? We know how to leave out just the right part or amount of information or to emphasize other parts to elevate them so that people, other people will get blamed for our shortcomings, our underperformance. I mean, who hasn't gotten their brother and sister, or brother or sister in trouble for telling a story a certain, a certain way, right? That's twisting words. That's why I always had a love-hate relationship with game films after a football game. Because they don't lie. And you could think, man, I had an awesome game. I did this on this play. I was so amazing. And then they run the film. And, you know, it tells the truth. There should be game films of life. You know, you, you should have a guardian angel who's able to show up and av available to replay your conversations and your arguments and what you actually did just after you said, hold my beer. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think most of us would be surprised to hear that, that some of the data that I've shared online. We, we know that people lie. We know we lie. But did you, did you know that research also shows that the majority of us think we can tell the difference when other people are lying? But we can't. We think we know when someone is telling a lie. And if that were really true, we'd be a lot less gullible today. Or actually, the data shows very susceptible to the twisting of words. First of all, we tend to believe the first person who tells us a story. There's always two sides of the story, right? We're susceptible to someone twisting those words and shaping the account in their way. Especially if we, if we want to embrace that trick. If we, if we want it to be true. Or we don't want it to be true. Number three, we break commandment nine when we gossip, slander, or condemn others rashly. That's what the Heidelberg Catechism says. Leviticus 19.16 it says, don't go about spreading slander among your people. And again, our words can be slanted about people or their actions. And we can pass on damaging things about others. Or we can be sly about it in a way. And kind of feed someone just enough information that they can draw their own conclusions. And we can pass along a story, a report, or a rumor that damages someone's reputation. You know, gossip or slander can be true or not true, but the important thing in human behavior is that it achieves the result that we wanted. And so, if I want to zing somebody, I can do it with my phone or an email or a social media post. And I may or may not have any idea whether it's true. Um... But it works for me, and it fits my paradigm, and it's juicy. 
Why do we do that? Proverbs tells us in 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. We do it because we love it. You know, I think about like when you feed your dog a piece of cheese. They don't nibble it, right? Like you have the piece of cheese and it's like, they don't even taste it. In Proverbs 18, 17, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. You know, when a person is accusing, they, they go to court, what, what do they have to prove? They don't have to prove anything, right, in court. It's up to the prosecution to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused is guilty. You're innocent until proven guilty. But doesn't it seem like in, in, in social life, it's exactly the opposite. Often, um, we hear a story and we immediately believe it, even if it sounds crazy or out of character for a person. You know, I can remember um, an instance here at Sunridge where there's a couple going through a divorce and, you know, that's always really hard, you know, when both are at the same church and... Um, as they went through it, the wife was just like on blast, having all these conversations, little secret individual conversations about the husband and um, just slandering his name. And as, as the story emerged, none of it was true. But there were so many people in our church that were furious with this man and like ready to just run him out on a rail and he was being falsely accused. People just heard the story and automatically believed it. What if, what if we were different about that and said every time we heard something like that, we either kept it to ourselves or at least we held it until we knew for sure that that was true, that that's like a, something so powerful. What if we said, like, you know, wait a minute. I know that this looks bad right now, but why don't I try and get some more information before I share it? You know, the problem with stuff like that is once it gets out there, it kind of takes on its own life. It's like a toxic chemical spill. You know, it just persists in the environment. Even after the company's long gone, it's like the, the ground, the water is just contaminated. And that can happen with a person's reputation. It affects families groups of friends. It can, it's going to affect your, your floor in your college dorm. It affects teams and certainly churches. So you can see there's a lot of ways to break commandment nine. So why is commandment nine so important? Why is it such a big deal to God? Well, number one, commandment nine is a big deal because truth is in God's nature. Truth is in God's nature. Which, what words would you use to describe God? You might say love or justice. But also, you would use the word truth, right? Titus 1-2 says God can't lie. And truth-telling is in the very nature of God. In Deuteronomy 7-9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, which means he is true. Keeping his covenant. He keeps his word of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. And then when you think about how Jesus self-described in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, 
the life. I'm the embodiment of truth. And then has how John described him in John 1, 9. He was full of grace and truth. Commandment 9 is also a big deal because truthful, untruthfulness damages people. It damages people. If we're made in the image of God, then the things that bother God are going to hurt us. Proverbs 16, 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Look at any place, any place where people are together, any organization or a family or a church or an office, a place of work where there's bickering or tension or gossip or slander, commandment nine is being broken. You know, there are Christians today that pride themselves on leading a moral life, on being on the right side of this or that issue, but they go around and they slaughter people with gossip. It's a mean-spirited twisting of words and facts to support their agenda in the moment. And God hates it. In Proverbs 6.16, it says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. I mean, do we want to be guilty of something that God despises, that he hates? God will not bless a person who lies or gossips or twists words. But on the other hand, almost everything that is important to you and me, that matters in our lives, commandment nine protects it. It protects your marriage, your property, your life. It protects the rich and the poor, the educated and the uneducated. It recognizes that there are disparities in human society and yet it assures that everyone gets the same treatment. And it protects your reputation and your honor. Which is part of having dignity as a human being. And last, commandment nine is a big deal because our Christian testimony depends upon it. Our Christian testimony depends upon it. Why in the world would anyone listen to a mean-spirited liar who twists words and slanders people and gossips behind their back and spreads information and then they're going to go and talk about Jesus? It ain't going to happen, people. Or it shouldn't. Commandment 9 is not just about lying. It's being a person of character. It's about being truthful. Full of truth. It's about representing the true nature of Jesus Christ. And remember like when we talked about like not taking the Lord's name in vain, we talked about how that's literally translated to carry God's name. Like to pick it up and to carry his name. If we're going to carry God's name, <clears throat> excuse me, into our community, to our families, our workplace, then we have, to, we have to be authentic and live out commandment nine, whatever it's cost. Because our ability to be God's people and his ambassadors relies completely upon 
our reputation of being truthful. Christians should be the most truthful, reliable people in the world. And by the way, whose name are we carrying into our community when we gossip and give false witness? What is the nature of Satan? He's a liar. In a time when we'd all agree, I think, that it's become really difficult to know what the truth is. This is a time for Christians to stand out. Not, not with just a sticker on the back of my car, but by, by being the most honest, the most reflective, the most critically thinking, and the slowest to run to falsehood. You agree? Okay, three of us. <laughs> so how do I do it? How do I keep commandment nine? These will go quick. You guys, you guys fans of Hamilton? I am. I love Hamilton. Do you remember what Aaron Burr said to Alexander Hamilton? He said, talk less, smile more, right? That's kind of close to what I'm about to say. Number one, talk less, listen more. You can smile while you do it. That'll be helpful too. Proverbs 10:19 says, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. Isn't that interesting? But he who restrains his lips is wise. In other words, like the more you're talking, the more likely you're going to sin. Look at me. I've been talking for 30 minutes. How many times have I sinned? I'm a man, so I'm more likely to be telling lies too. You know, it is so hard to bear false witness if you're not talking. Another way to talk less is to become curious and become a question asker. Find out if something really is true. Someone says it. Don't just pass it on, forward it, or repeat it. Be contemplative. Number two. I can live out commandment nine. When you speak, use your words to bring God glory. Use your words to bring God glory. Have you ever thought about your conversations like that? What you say to your spouse or your kids or about your boss or about your pastor when he's not there, about your church or schoolmates, you should, because Colossians 3.17, Paul wrote, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in other words, dedicate. Dedicate your words that they will build people up and they will bring God's glory. That they, they will bring God glory. I know you know, it's like, you know, you're in conversations at work or, you know, wherever. You're in a group. And there are just some people whose words seem to, to, like, they make you kind of think about how awesome God is. They have that effect on you. They make you think of God's glory. And then there are others who, like, like it's the opposite. You know, that their words just make you angry or they, you know, like they get you, like, all spun up. And critical. And here we're saying, like, be a breath of fresh air. Use your words to bring God's, bring God glory. So when you walk away from that conversation, there's a fragrance that lingers that is 
the glory of God. Last, rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask the band to come up, but I want you to realize as they come up, what we're up against here won't work for you to just say, you know, I'm going to do better on this one. You know, I'm, I'm going to be better at commandment nine. James tells us in uh, 3.7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But check it out. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So in other words, the only way that this can change in you and I, people of God, Christians, is um, if God helps us to change. And we're going to need the Holy Spirit to shut our yapper <laughs> and fill us with his presence so that what comes out of our mouths reflects the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like, how, how in the world am I going to, like, have those words, those kind of words, come out of my mouth? Well, this crusty old ex-fireman needs the Holy Spirit. That's what I need. I don't know about you. But if we do that, I can tell you the payoff is amazing. It's life-changing. It's world-changing. Just think about how different your life would be, your community, your home, the team you're on, your soccer team, your workplace, your youth group, your nonprofit. If the words coming out of you were born of the Holy Spirit, See, I hope you can see that commandment nine is a really big deal. It's bigger than face value because truth matters. Truth matters and Christians should be known as the most reliably true people on the planet. Everything depends upon it. Societal structure and human flourishing depends upon it. Your ability to have shalom in a, in a home that is filled with God's presence. For you to go to your workplace and to be able to shine the light of Jesus Christ. In order for you to share the gospel with the, in the opportunities that God gives you. It all goes back. It's all built upon commandment nine. God is depending on us Christians to be truthful people. God, that is our prayer. For those that are here and name your name as a follower of Jesus Christ, I pray that we would be the most reliably truthful people in the world and that our words re would reflect your character in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing about that. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.